The Start On Demand. On demand. Tuesday, a day full of fun and serious conversation. We had a, an extensive discussion about personal and long-term care in our province. What does it mean to you? Where would you like to see it go? Where would you like to see it go for yourself and your loved ones? We also had a conversation about travel in our province, Travel Manitoba, Economic Development Winnipeg, wanting people from across Western Canada to come to Manitoba. How do you feel about that? As COVID-19 cases are down to one single solitary active known case in our province. That and much, much more coming up next on the podcast, The Start On Demand. Let's get right down to business. Tuesday morning, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry is back on Monday. Loren, good morning. Good morning, my friend. How's it going? Not bad at all. A little bit of thunder and lightning around the province yesterday. We'll start with the weather, not because uh, some parts of the province uh, didn't need the rain, but uh, many others really did not need the rain, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's so funny, depending on where you are, what you're looking for this year, right? You might feel like things have been kind of dry, but really for so many places, the grounds are already saturated. So we heard Jeff Braun talk about Southwest Manitoba and the good news that Rivers residents that were evacuated because of the worries over the the dam, well, they get to go back home. Then in southeast Manitoba, we've already seen some flash flooding near the border in Vida and Stewart Burn in early June. Well, yesterday, uh, there was pictures going around on social media of flash flooding in Steinbach. Steinbach got about 61 millimeters of rain. Uh, Morris, about 55 millimeters. Latelier, there was a funnel cloud spotted uh, up in the air. No damage, according to residents in that area. But we do know winds caused some damage uh, for those in the Red River Valley because they were really gusting in some parts up to 100 kilometers per hour. So a farmer, a local area farmer from Altona is going to join us after 6.30, Greg, because the wind just took down his shed in a matter of seconds and a really large structure too that was home to many of his pieces of equipment. And it just went down uh, like a box of you know, matchsticks, I guess, is the expression they say sometimes, the way things can snap in these winds. And so weird weather is uh, making its appearance once again. Well, you're just reminding me of what I saw out in Rapid City uh, two weeks ago yesterday. Uh, massive grain bins toppled uh, like dominoes side by side by side and uh, structures uh, sustaining massive damage. So uh, once again, different parts of Manitoba experiencing different things on the weather front. Western Canada, a couple of COVID-19 related conversations to have today. One has to do with the arts, and we'll touch on that in just a moment, but the other has to do with travel and tourism. Manitoba on the precipice of zero active COVID-19 cases, but our neighbours to the west not doing quite as well, Loren. I'm going to give you some numbers. 56, 62, and 230. Those are the active cases or reported over the weekend in Saskatchewan, BC, and Alberta. And yesterday, Economic Development Winnipeg Travel Manitoba launching a digital advertising campaign inviting not only Manitobans to travel within Manitoba, 
but individuals from northwestern Ontario and Saskatchewan with the possibility of expanding that advert advertising campaign further west down the road. And lots of people in Winnipeg and Manitoba saying, whoa, 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 hold your horses. Meaning don't invite anyone else? Correct. Don't, in, don't invite anyone in? Mm-hmm. Huh. See, I I feel the restrictions were lifted July 20, June 21st, rather, June 21st. People were allowed to travel from Western Canada to Manitoba or go in that direction. Same with Northwestern Ontario. So that's been in place. So it makes sense to me that there would be some reach into those areas. I get it. We don't want to be bringing too many infected cases in. And I understand people's concerns, but we we are going to see a slow easing of those restrictions. It's just up to us on how we deal with them. It doesn't mean people come in and we all hug and clap and, you know, dance together. We still have to be smart about how we're spending time with maybe relatives that are coming or, or what we're doing when we head out on the road. But I don't know. There's so many industries that are hurting and there has to be some balance. I went looking for a couple of places in the Dauphin area. We're looking to do some camping out there when I'm off and, and uh, different things, Greg. And you can't find a lot of businesses that are even open that work in the tourism industry because they've just been forced to close. And so there's got to be some movement back and forth. You, you don't like this. I'm uncomfortable with it uh, because our numbers are so drastically different from the rest of those provinces. And I keep in touch with uh, lots of people in Alberta and B.C. uh, more so. And uh, the numbers in Kelowna and the Okanagan, where lots of people like to go, including myself, are, are really spiking in that part of that province. Yesterday, Loren, was the 35th anniversary of Live Aid. Yeah. And uh, I'm guessing you were a little bit too young to appreciate the magnitude of what happened on that day back in 1985. No, it's only in years later that I came to see what what happened there and watched some of the live specials that were put out afterwards. But there was back in, uh, I believe it was 2005, another effort to kind of do a similar Live Aid concert, uh, I trying to figure out what anniversary that would have been. I'm guessing the 20th. And so uh, I did learn a lot more about it then. But no, you're right. I was, I think I was six or seven when this this happened the first time around. So there is one performance that uh, has been, you know, I think uh, largely stamped as the one of the best live performances, not only of that concert, but maybe of all time. And that is of Freddie Mercury and Queen when he had the crowd going back and forth. But yesterday, we set the table. We said, for having coffee, talking, we were going to discuss the most overplayed songs, songs that we don't ever want to hear again in certain circumstances. And for me, I would be fine if I never, ever heard this song ever again. (laughs) I don't know what it is about this song. I feel like you can't have a social or a wedding or an event without this song. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not going to lie. This made me laugh when we started playing it. But at the same time, my shoulder is doing a little mum mum shake right now. Yeah, that's part of the problem with these songs, that as much as we uh, maybe don't like them, uh, we need to hear them every once in a while. What is the one song that you could do without 
hearing ever again. 204-780-6868. Jeff, Jeffrey, Kelly, and Loren will let you know what their songs are when we continue. But first, we start this half hour with uh, yesterday, powerful winds, flash flooding, and funnel clouds. They were all on the table as a series of different thunderstorms moved through southern Manitoba yesterday afternoon. Yes, we know in Dauphin, those storms brought winds of 104 kilometers per hour. And there was also a report of at least one funnel cloud sighting. A funnel cloud was also spotted near Latelier. That's in the Red River Valley, not far from the Manitoba U.S. border. And winds there also gusted between 90 and 100 kilometers per hour. Powerful enough to take down some trees and the shed of Altona area farmer Corey Schroeder. And he joins us now. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. Well, thanks for getting up early with us. I can only imagine uh, what that might have sounded like. I've shared your picture that you shared on Twitter. People can check that out at McNabb on Global. But tell us what, what it sounded like when that wind came through yesterday. Uh, well, I was doing stuff in the office and like with no window, and it was quiet, and, and all of a sudden I heard this weird roar. And uh, my two daughters were playing in the basement, and they started screaming and panicking. And I kind of looked outside and noticed uh, I shouldn't be seeing my combine because it was part of the shed, and it, the shed was disintegrated. It was gone. So we kind of hid in the basement till uh, till it was done, and then uh, kind of surveyed the damage after. You know, you say it so matter-of-factly, and the only way that I think uh, I imagine that uh, people live in rural Manitoba talk about these things is, yeah, all of a sudden my combine was in my backyard, but it had to be overwhelming at the time. What other damage did you sustain, Corey? And uh, maybe talk about what's the plan to to rectify the situation, because I can only imagine that you're already thinking about how you fix this. Yeah, you know, um, on my yard, we just had another tree, a couple branches go down, so nothing bad other than the shed. Um, nothing damage to the house. Uh, that was all fine. Um, our shed ended up on yards, like four yards down north of us. That's how far it flew. Um, we had other neighbors down the road here that uh, they had a barn basically blow off their house, and they sustained some house damage where... Rain was leaking into the house, so we were fortunate we didn't have any of that. But, uh, yeah, it. Uh, I guess we'll wait till insurance comes and takes a look at, uh, at the shed. And we already had a couple of construction crews come offer their equipment to take the walls off the combine and the truck and stuff. So we can uh, then survey the damage equipment. Yeah, looking at the photo here, your shed, it looks like you had your combine in there, maybe a feed truck, Corey, and some other pieces of equipment equipment what was it made of in terms of the way it would crumple like this is it mostly wood and, and metal siding yeah it's basically just uh like it was a pole shed so the the walls were just tin and uh the roof same thing um but you know it's it's stood up through lots of wind in previous years and Something something came in, and I must have pushed the doors in and then lifted the roof right off because the roof, pieces of the roof flew. We had three tractors standing there, and it flew right over all those tractors and into a bin, into our neighbor's yard, and, and how that missed those tractors, I'm not sure, but uh, we're pretty lucky it missed that, missed the house, and missed the neighbor's house. <laughs> Wow. Well, well uh, hopefully some more gratefulness here when I ask you about the crops. How, how are they surviving and how are they doing? Have you had a chance to take a peek uh, either uh, last night or this morning, Corey? 
Um, I haven't gone too much. Just kind of looked around the fields around the yard here. Um, they looked really good yesterday at this time. Um, now they're kind of flattened out a little bit, and a lot of the canola, some of the flowers are taken off. And it was really yellow yesterday morning. Now it uh, doesn't look quite as much, quite as yellow, but I guess we'll see in the next few days how they bounce back. Corey, before we let you go, you mentioned the kind of roar that came through and, and the move to the basement. Had you had a conversation with your kids in the past about what you'd do if you do if you ever saw winds or, you know, even felt like, I know it wasn't a tornado, but just the possibility, right, kind of, kind of creates some fear. Has it, has it allowed for an action plan in your home in terms of what to do in that situation? Yeah, we, we've let them know, like, if it's if it looks like they, they're worried, then go to the basement, go into the... the utility room downstairs and uh, wait there. Um, we actually, I don't know if it was a week ago, week and a half, there was a, a funnel cloud sighting here by Summerfelt. It never came down, but, you know, we kind of just reminded them if that ever happens, like what we should do. Thank you so much for this, Corey. A couple of quick things. Loren uh, kind of was ready to uh, wrap things up. But as we're talking here, uh, loyal listener Derek sending in pictures from Altona yesterday, flooded streets in the community. Uh, and uh, at one point, you could not see five inches in front of you based on the rain. And our uh, listener, Scott, wanted to know if you received any weather warnings, either on your cell phone or otherwise, uh, to let you know that this was coming. Uh, we, I did, you know, we did have this severe thunderstorm warning, um, but, you know, I was watching the radar and watching outside, and I thought it was all going to miss to the west of us, and, and it came up so fast. Like like I said, I, it was quiet when I came in the office, and it didn't take two minutes, and the shed was gone. <laughs> it, came, it came really quick. Corey, thank you for this. And uh, once again, uh, your spirit and your uh, point of view and your posture following something like this is uh, absolutely admirable. We uh, we just uh, can't say enough about what farm folk do for our economy. Thank you for taking some time for us. Uh, what's obviously a, a little bit of a tough time for you on your farm. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. You betcha, Corey Schroeder. Uh, the, the spirit, it just, I don't know, Loren. It, uh, I've been around it uh, off and on just about all my life, and it still blows me away the way farmers uh, sort of you know, pull up their socks following something like this. Yeah, and now they'll have to pull up that shed and help one another out. Amazing also in this that no one's hurt, right, with that kind of uh, material blowing around siding and and wood frames and all the rest and so just uh, i suppose you wake up thankful for that and then you gotta try to start repairing the damage I was on I was on pins and needles waiting to see which song you were gonna play next, Jeff, but you you went with the tried and true. Oh yeah. Music bed. It's having coffee talking, Jeffrey Forche behind the glass, taking care of business for us on the technical side, keeping uh, mostly me in line. Loren McNabb, uh, Brett McGarry off this week. Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Forche and uh, Jeff Braun. Uh, Braun, uh, lots of songs. Uh, did you ever DJ? No, I, I only once like at a friend's wedding where a bunch of us, we had gone to college together. So we just like took turns DJing so we wouldn't have to hire a guy. Okay. Well, I know you've been to your share of weddings and socials over the years. What's the one song that you simply could do without again? There are, there must be thousands of songs a person can dance to 
and why we have to listen to Cotton Eye Joe at every single one of these events. <laughs> 30 years after it was a one-hit wonder blows my mind. It's the worst song, and there's so many better alternatives. that And it, they still play it. I was at a social last year, and they played it, and I couldn't believe it. Oh. I Let it play. Let, I have that song yeah, picked. Loren <laughs> sent me this. Loren this, sent me this. <laughs> it's the same song? Braun and McNabb have the same song? Yeah. And Kelly. Well, I did, oh. but I also I, I kept the backup. <laughs> All three of you picked the same song? It's the worst song. It was Clearly. the best song back in the 90s, though. I will say I loved it 20 years ago or 25 years I, ago. But my God, hate, go away now. I hated that thing being played in arenas when I was back doing play-by-play. <laughs> hated it. <laughs> I think it still gets people's feet tapping, oh, though. It, well, maybe gonna... it does. <laughs> All right, well, well, you're all, well, this is a short segment if you guys all pick the same song. <laughs> I said I had a backup. All right. Uh, uh, the professionals always have a backup plan. What is it, more? <laughs> I was doing this more from a sports event perspective, too, by the way. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think you're gonna get some pushback on this. You don't, song. you don't really hate that song. You don't, you don't, you could go without ever hearing that again. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> I guess it all depends on your perspective and how many yeah. times you've heard it and under which conditions. Uh, Loren, do you have a backup plan? I have no backup plan, but I could name you a few songs that I can't stand. I was driving home uh, from Minnedosa area Sunday, and four times in two and a half hours, Free Falling came on. So that mm. kind of drives me crazy. It's not really a wedding song. It's more just sort of on the radio at all times. You mentioned Moni Moni. That one drives me nuts. I also can't stand, and I used to love it, but with time and reflection, Beyonce's Single Ladies. It's like, and, and they look at all the single women on the floor to get back before I got married, like I'm supposed to be part of this crew that can't wait to put a ring on it like it's offensive go away my niece sings that one all well she doesn't anymore but she used to do the dinglets she just that was what she heard not the single ladies but the dinglets and so whenever we have a family gathering that's the way we sing it um there was a betting going on here on the text machine here, Loren, that your choice would be Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran <laughs> based on your MPI experience of a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, I got left on hold for about 20, 15, 20 minutes and that song was on repeat. And yes, it was annoying. But I, every t you know, I can, some, sometimes the song's about the memory, right? So when that song comes up, I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but back when that song was popular, uh, Much Music was doing those video dance parties and they came to our high school gym in Minnedosa and that was the song and I can see old Tom dancing on the highway and so sometimes the memory is good I don't necessarily want to dance to it but the memory I'll still take Tom had such good hair flipping it back Forte what do you got? Only because Boo. Free Bird by Leonard Skinner just because when you play in a cover band there's yes. always somebody in the bar Play Free Bird! Exactly <laughs> That's the only reason why I'm choosing this one. <laughs> they yell it because it's one of the ten greatest songs of all time. Oh, it's a, it's a great song. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying you get so annoyed of hearing somebody yell, Play Freebird! <laughs> Play it! <laughs> Take the care of business! Oh. 
<laughs> Bill says, uh, I still can't stand this song. I turn off the radio even now when I hear it. We built this city by Starship. Ugh. It was on heavy rotation for so long when it came out, and I texted back to Bill. We will not play this song, Bill. We don't want to lose you as a listener. <laughs> 6.57 on this Tuesday morning. Loren, you've got uh, 15 seconds to uh, tell us what uh, Corey texted you before we run. Well, we were visiting with Altona area farmer about the damage he sustained to his shed and his neighbor's farm. And he just texted me afterwards and just said, you were speaking about community helping out. He wanted to give a big shout out to this tree trimming company, Tree Pro. Apparently last night they came out with about 50 to 75 members of their church. They came through their village and helped anyone that had tree damage clean up. So talking about the spirit that exists out there to help people through harder times. There it is right there. Well, hopefully they won't be playing Jump by Van Halen as they enter the yard. Uh, one of our <laughs> listeners said. They could do without jump. Keep them coming. 780-6868. The songs that you could live without ever hearing again. Jeff Braun has global news next at 7 o'clock. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, we're about to talk a little bit of football. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, in fact, the champions of the Canadian Football League. So, you see, we tied it all together nicely there. I like it. Very seamless, Greg. Well done. Well, I have to tell you about the question of the day before I uh, forget about that and have to uh, ruin Jeffrey Forche's uh, clock and all things he te- keeps track of. Uh, question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. And it has to do with COVID-19. With just one reported active case of COVID in the province, how do you feel about fully opening everything back up, including theaters and casinos? He knows three choices for you there. It's a very close race. Get online, cgob.com, and vote now. As mentioned, it is time for Breakfast with the Bombers. And with Justin Medlock in the fold, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are fortunate to employ one of the most consistent kickers in CFL history. In professional sport, the only constant is change, and the Blue Bombers and their scouting staff are always looking for the next quarterback, running back, or kicker to eventually replace the man doing that job today, McNabb. So today we want to meet the gentleman the team drafted to potentially take over one day for Medlock. Yeah, he's heads and tails above anyone in this conference and across Canada. And it's a credit to the work he's put in and the work he puts in in practice in the weight room and the film room. And that's what we expect of him. We always say it's not about the how far, it's the how. And the numbers take care of itself if he focuses on that. I took uh, a lot of time this summer to make sure I had everything technically sound this summer. I know this year is... Uh, could be my last year so I want it to be my best year and me and Daryl went pretty hard throughout it. Um, I hope I spike some teams uh, um, interested in me as I play this season. Well he certainly spiked the interest of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We say good morning to kicker Mark Leggio of the Western Mustangs drafted in the fifth round of this year's CFL draft. Good morning Mark. Good morning how's it going? Thrilled to have you on because we want to talk about your future potentially with the team. Justin Medlock, of course, has been key to the Blue Bomber success since he joined the club in 2016. How does it feel for you to be drafted on the team with such a great kicker? Oh, it's such an honor to be um, on a team like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I've been watching Medlock uh, play for a couple years now. And I've always known known him to be the most consistent uh, kicker out there in the CFL. And 
I just it's going to be a pleasure being able to work under him and maybe getting to learn a few new things from him and uh, hopefully one day I get to be and uh, take over his place and be as consistent as him. That's a tremendous uh, way of looking at it, Mark. Uh, I always wonder how, how it, it's viewed when you are drafted and sort of uh, maybe uh, looked upon to be the heir apparent. So uh, obviously the answer the Blue Bombers were looking for when they drafted you. Now, uh, you caught a lot of people's attention the other day. You kicked a 77-yard field goal in workouts. That video has drawn plenty of ten- attention on social media. I retweeted it out uh, the, the day that I saw it and again this morning. Is that the longest field goal you've ever hit uh, in workouts? It actually is. Uh, the longest I hit before that was 65, but um, I was feeling pretty good that day and I'm like, you know what, let's see how far back out I can go. So I started going back 60, 65 and I got up to 70 and I ended up crushing one. And I was uh, pretty impressed uh, with uh, the distance I got on, and it felt pretty good to be able to hit a ball from that far. I bet. Did it surprise you a little bit? I mean, given you had a 65 before, you're not far off, but that's still a full five yards more. That's an, that's a tremendous kick, Mark. Yeah, it, it was pretty surprising. felt very good, and uh, it still amazed me what uh, – human body is capable of doing sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no question now we we heard from your kick, kicking coach uh in that clip that we played there and i uh, was impressed to uh hear uh, how seriously you take the kicking game because sometimes kickers can be accused of being uh, you know not necessarily real football players but it sounds as though you approach this thing uh fairly seriously if not incredibly uh seriously in some scouting reports i i actually saw your skill being compared to that of Liram Hirolahu, who signed with the LA Rams following a six-year CFL career, which started here in Winnipeg. So we're talking, uh, you know, Hirolahu, we're talking Medlock, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, your name here. Does that comparison or those comparisons put more pressure on you to perform? Um, it definitely puts some pressure on me to make sure I live up to those standards, but it also makes me feel pretty confident in that everything I've done to lead up to where I am today is, uh, um, it's been a body of work and I've always put the time in and always wanted to be the best. I'm a very competitive person. So I always love seeing my stats be above everyone else's, but being in the mix of those types of names like Lyrum and Medlock is just an honor to be, uh, for people to think that I have the ability to be where they are, um, in the future to come. What's it been like for the past few weeks and months, Mark? Because, you know, normally when we have an off season, you know what the return date is going to be. And that's not the case for everything from concerts to theater to sports. We don't know if or when the season will make it come, make its return. And so, therefore, that's lingering over you. How do you stay, um, you know, in the routine and in the zone, so to speak, so that you're game ready should that call come in days or weeks' time? Um, luckily, I have... Uh a little bit of a dumbbell set at my house. So I've been staying on top of at-home workouts, um, staying flexible, stretching as much as I can. I know the fields where I am in Toronto were shut down for a little bit, so they had opened up uh, about a month ago, and it felt good to finally get back onto the field and not have anyone bother you that you're not able to be out here. So once I got back onto the field, I was able to get back in my uh, rhythm of training, and now I'm feeling pretty good, and I just can't wait till. uh Hopefully we get an answer on when the season will be able to start to bring my talents to the team and meet everyone. Mark Leggio, the Western Mustangs drafted in the fifth round by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joins us on Breakfast with the Bombers. My first question might sound a little bit strange, but uh, I promise I'll make up for it in the, uh, in the follow-up, Mark. Uh, are you a Jerry Seinfeld fan? 
Um, I've only watched a couple uh, a couple episodes actually. I haven't really watched it a whole ton, but I hear it's a great show. I I want to get into it sometime. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very diplomatic answer, and I always forget about the generational divide sometimes with the players coming into the the CFL. Jerry Seinfeld has a, a skit in his special. I'm telling you for the last time where he talks about uh, Jeeves. If you name your kid Jeeves, you sort of laid out his his plan in terms of his occupation henceforth. Could you be anything other than a kicker with the last name Legio? <laughs> I know. I I thought all the stars just aligned with that. With my everyone said it had to come through, and and I'm glad it did. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, thanks for putting up with the uh, with the with the horrible setup and the even worse joke. Uh, we look forward to seeing Winnipeg one of these days and uh, sitting down face to face with you. Thanks for much for uh, for uh, taking some time with us and and uh, keep it up. Keep posting those videos. Uh, maybe seventy one yards is next for you. Uh, hopefully, I'll just keep moving back further and further and see if I can eventually, let's say, one day reach 100. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Thanks for this. Mark Leggio joining us on Breakfast with the Bombers. We'll talk to you soon, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Pretty impressive young man. I can't believe it took me six and a half minutes to get to the Leggio. Come on. You're the queen I, of puns. I was I leaving it. I left it there for you on the silver platter. I, I had to claim it that. for my own. But to start the hour, we're talking about the impact COVID has had on the arts community. No theater, no ballet, no concerts. At least none of the above are happening indoors, Lauren. Of course, that's because rules governing the capacity and social distancing mean dancers, singers, guitarists. They all don't know when they're going to be able to hit the stage again. So later in the show, we're going to visit with some local arts group on how they're coping. Right now, we want to take a look at restaurants because some of these restrictions are having the same impact on restaurants. Yes, people can dine indoors now, but tables still have to be six feet apart. And so that's making things really challenging for many restaurants. And those guidelines are all set by the province. But tomorrow at City Hall, there's a motion that's going forward that could potentially help ease some of the financial pain, at least for some of our local restaurants. And that's a motion that's calling on Winnipeg to reduce the business tax temporarily in order to give some of these local restaurants a break. Sean Jeffrey is the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association and joins us now. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Tell us what's on the table here. Uh, what are we talking about? Because uh, taxes have to be paid like normal by all of us right now. And there's a motion that's been put forward by one city councillor to say, is there any way we can give some of these restaurants a break? Yeah, we uh, we actually working with uh, with uh, or, uh, Councillor Klein to uh, to send this proposal to EPC to be able to uh, reduce the business taxes for independent restaurants for uh, for a time frame just to ease with some of the burden of the costs that restaurants are currently having to um, to pay during this time, even though they're operating at significantly less revenues. So um, we were able to present this to EPC about a month ago. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to them uh, moving forward on this because uh, it's it's uh, it's an integral part of, of keeping a lot of these uh, smaller restaurants uh, open during a time where their restaurants cannot fit a lot of patrons. And uh, we need to really be able to look at them at being viable in the future. And uh, it's very hard, you know, it's very tough right now when when you're operating at such a significant uh, um, deteriorated level of revenue to continue to see if they're even going to be viable for the future or not. 
Sean, uh, you know, we've spoken in the past about how difficult it is to run a restaurant at the best of times and how one bad day, one bad week can uh, sink a restaurant. We're going on four months here for some operators. Can you give us an idea of how much money we're talking about here and, and what a difference that amount of money could make to an operator in terms of keeping their doors open longer term? Yeah, for sure. No, you've actually, there was a recent survey conducted and actually talking about profitability of restaurants during this time. And um, unfortunately, the results were that 56% of restaurants were going to look at, at uh, eight or at uh, 12 months or more before they'd make a single dollar in profit. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an alarming uh, stat that uh, is very scary when it comes down to the viability of our restaurant industry here in Manitoba. So it's uh, something that we need every little bit counts and uh, the debt levels in the restaurants right now are unsurmountable. They're, they're growing every day because these restaurants aren't making a single dollar. Every day they lose money. So it's, it's very, very tough to, to continue to look at that and not see any end in sight so forth and so that's why we're really uh, reaching out to our provincial government to, to look at ways that we can potentially uh, assist these uh, our industry and in, in getting back to uh, uh, somewhat close to profitability status. So the proposal on the table tomorrow that would be voted on by the mayor's inner circle and then of course it would have to go on to council but it calls for uh, a reduction of business tax imposed on independently owned restaurants by 50 percent from June until November or until such a time the province eliminates that two-meter physical distancing. Uh, I want to ask you a second question about that, but first, what kind of dollar savings would that give? 50% on business tax per month. Give us a sense of what that could mean to the average restaurant. So for the average restaurant, you'd be looking at anywhere between three and $5,000. So it's, uh, it's per, a pretty per significant month, Sean? amount. Uh, no, over a tax period, which is three okay. months. So it's um, so it's a pretty significant amount of money, um, especially in a smaller location where uh, you know we've had to be able to come up with uh, rent during this time. Um, we still have to pay you know our, uh, our property taxes through our rent. We still have to pay our insurance. We have a lot of a lot of costs that are still relatable to this. So it's it's a it, it'd be very significant. Um, and uh, in for the smaller restaurants too, because the reality is, is that again, when you have such a small, you know, these mom and pop, these corner stores, those little restaurants on court, and those, you know, forty seat, fifty seat restaurants, these are only able to operate currently with you know fifteen or twenty guests in there at the maximum. So it's very, very tough to make a go of it like this, especially when it's you know so inconsistent. People are still you know apprehensive of going out, so we don't know if it's uh, you're going to have two people in there, or you're going to have twenty. So um, when you have some sort of a savings like this, it's very, very very apparent that it's uh, it's quite uh, significant in trying to at least ease the pressure of these uh, these poor owners at this time. Sean, we, we really should go, but I got to ask you: any luck? Uh, August first, we're just a couple weeks out. Another month. How are negotiations and how are things working out in terms of negotiation with landlords with regard to rent and deferring, or at least uh, having the amount of rent paid reduced somewhat? Yeah. For sure. Actually, the, the provincial government actually implemented a commercial rent moratorium already, and we were actually very, very excited to hear that they were able to do that. So that was done uh, two weeks ago. So um, that's uh, that's significant to our owners, a little bit of less stress on the, on the table, having to not have to worry about having the doors locked on you when you try to go to work the next day. But uh, we're, we'll st- we still need more. And unfortunately, we're going to continue to work with our provincial government to uh, to work with ways to try to keep our uh, our industry viable for the future.
I mentioned to you in a text message because that's how we communicate in between segments right now because Loren's working from home. I'm at the studio today. Pardon me. And uh, I just love how sometimes our listeners uh, can manage to bring a bunch of topics together. And uh, I've got this email that I just received about 10 minutes ago. I was listening to your morning show on the topic about opening Manitoba borders to other provinces. I understand why we might want to do this. However, we have one active COVID case in our province, while the Western provinces have many more. In fact, I can give you the stats here. 56 announced in Saskatchewan yesterday, 62 announced in British Columbia yesterday, and Alberta had over the weekend 230 new cases. So our uh, emailer goes on to write, I cannot visit my mom who is in a personal care home without wearing a mask. When I want to visit her, I have to make an appointment. We sit six feet apart with a plastic partition separating us. My mom is very hard of hearing, so communication is difficult. I cannot even give her a hug. Perhaps we need to open up other things in Manitoba, including access to our loved ones before we open Manitoba to other provinces. Respectfully submitted by Ermi. Ermi, thank you for bringing this to our attention and putting it into perspective because personal care homes are on the radar and have been really since the start of this outbreak, since the beginning of COVID-19. And she raises a great point there about the inability to see our loved ones as normal and also highlighting just what COVID has highlighted within the long-term care community as perhaps deficiencies or issues. And the Long-Term Care Association, it put out a request yesterday asking all Manitobans, including all members of the Legislative Assembly, to combat what they're calling critical funding shortfalls in long-term and continuing care. And part of this is in light of COVID, but part of it is as a result of what might have been funding shortfalls for years. And so to help us understand this a bit more, we're joined by Jan Lagueros, Executive Director of the Long-Term and Continuing Care Association of Manitoba. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Loren. Good morning, Greg. Well, I'd like to know, It's I know it's so hard to sometimes put dollar figures to things, but if we're going to say there's a funding shortfall, what are we talking about? How much? Well, I think what we're talking about in terms of infrastructure is looking at 60% of the personal care homes, not only in Manitoba, but across the country. But if we just focus on Manitoba, so that would be <clears throat> about 6,000 beds. To create a new personal care home bed costs very conservatively, about $300,000. So you're looking at $1.8 billion to um, bring this infrastructure up to uh, what it should be in present day. Um, <clears throat> we need, Jen, I course, just want to jump in there, just $1.8 billion, just to be clear. That's what we're talking billion with a B for infrastructure. Billion, yeah, billion with a B, Loren. There hasn't been any major... Um, upgrades done to all of the personal care homes in Manitoba for many, many years. Um, Most of the infrastructure we have is 40 to 50 years old. There are shared uh, washrooms and shared rooms. I think that, you know, we've heard that on the news before. But what's really important for people to understand is in those shared environments, it's very, very difficult to isolate someone if they're showing any kinds of symptoms of any sort of influenza, whether it's COVID or another kind of influenza. So what we end up doing is having these shutdowns like we have right now with COVID whenever there's an influenza outbreak as well. 
And I know Dr. Rusin has been talking about what we might be facing in the fall, and it could be um, influenza and COVID. So uh, we have visitor restrictions now, and I know families are desperate to see their loved ones, but we could be facing just as stringent restrictions to visiting in the fall. If we had more staff, we could facilitate more visiting. Right now, uh, because of the shortages that um, we have in our staffing complement, we're just not equipped to handle the, the number of visits that are being requested. So unfortunately, families are being restricted to you know 10 or 15 minutes and can only come once or twice a week. So it's a really tough situation. So I know that was one of the things that we talked about in our press release was not only the infrastructure issue, but the staffing issue. We need more allied health staff in long-term care. So we need more social workers, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, recreational therapists to help improve the quality of life for our seniors. We need to have more programs, more walking programs, more um, social interactions, So those are the things that we need as well. Also, too, um, our operation funding, operational funding, has not increased in almost 15 years. Um, And if you can only imagine all of the cost of living increases that would be incurred in terms of utilities and supplies and not having any funds to offset that makes it very, very difficult. In the last two years, we've had funding decreases. I know I read in the paper this morning that the minister was disappointed when he learned of the press releases from Marsh and from um, our association, but we have to understand that this has been going on for a very, very long time, and it transcends many different governments who've been in power. John Lagaros is Executive Director of Long-Term and Continuing Care Association of Manitoba. And Jan, I'm just sitting here and I'm listening. I have so many thoughts whenever we speak with you with regard to the shortfalls in funding, the inadequate facilities, the shortage in staff. Uh, recruiting has to be a challenge as well. I, I just, you know, I know firsthand Uh, some of the challenges that not only the staff face, but people who live in these long-term care homes. I just, uh, my thinking of my late grandmother who this inability to visit with anybody would have actually, actually been the end of her. I'm quite convinced of that. And, and I can only imagine what it's like for so many people right now. So how do we, how do we highlight and, I hate to say take advantage of the situation right now, but this has not happened overnight. You mentioned 15 years in terms of increases. So how do we, I'm going to say it, take advantage of what we've learned in these COVID times and and move it forward to make things better long-term for long-term care homes? I, I, Greg, you know, I think all of us need to step up to the plate. We're all taxpayers and we all... Um, have priorities in terms of the spending we'd like to see. As you've mentioned, COVID has shone a light on long-term care, and let's keep that light shining. We need to demonstrate now that this is our most important priority moving forward, that we really need to correct all of the shortfalls that have occurred in long-term and continuing care over the many, many years. And I think that, you know, I remember a quote that Jane Philpott 
uh, made in an interview she did, I think sometime in April, where she said, you know, this is on all of us, and it really is. And that's why um, our association has developed an email campaign so that we can let our MLAs know how many of us want this all to change and want long-term and continuing care to be a priority in terms of spending. Jan, there's so many places we could take this conversation, but we're out of time. I thank you for jumping on with us, and, and obviously we'll have to keep pushing this forward in the days and months ahead. The health minister might be disappointed that these emails have gone out, but as you say, if you've been pushing for change and, and ad- addressing funding shortfalls for 15 years, then if it's not time to talk about it now, I'm not sure when it is. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree. So everyone should go to our website at roadtocare.ca, all one word, and fill out that form today. Thank you so much, Jan. We appreciate your time as always. 917 and uh, Loren, I, you know, part of our job here is, of course, to be professional and to engage with our interview subjects uh, constructively and objectively. But this is a really tough one for me. I, I can only imagine it's a tough one for you as well. Well, I get it. You can't just go to the province and say, I need $1.8 billion to address infrastructure shortfalls, let alone staffing issues, equipment issues, and all the rest. That's a huge number. I get that we don't have that just sitting there at the ready. But I think now, like I said, if we're not going to talk about it now, when are we going to talk about it? Because we've been focused on our, our seniors and our elderly for the past four months about how we haven't been able to see them. We're all going to get there sometime, or you hope to get there, or maybe you don't hope to get there given the state of some of these homes. And I think it's something that impacts all of us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.